So for the last uh, few days, <clears throat> some of you have been working very diligently with the expressions of your mind, the states of mind, the story that, you, that has embellished your life, the dramas of that story within it. It's, a, it's quite an orchestration. It can be very dramatic. You know, a lot of tuba playing and drum beating. <laughs> And it's, a good, it's an interesting question, what is it based upon? What's it based upon? I mean, if we're going to act it out with such drama and such intensity, it should be based upon something that's real, should it not? Or else we are engaged in some kind of elaborate hoax that we all have agreed to play a role. A role. Now, the movement of spirituality is to find what it's based upon. Not to just continue to beat the drum to arouse the troops, but to find out what all, what's the premise behind, what's the, what's the substance behind this? I was... Uh, my wife and I were watching a cosmology series <clears throat> some time ago. And I remember a couple of things he said, which I'll share with you. But one of them was, uh, as he was revealing the mysteries of the universe, and uh, some 32 lectures, he, says, uh, he stopped and he says, I just uh, am amazed at how easily the universe reveals its secrets. And he said, I, I'm not sure whether uh, that's a good thing or not. He said he would like a little more uh, protection to those secrets so that he'd have, they'd have, we'd have to dig a little further and harder or whether we're worth knowing those secrets because of the ease in which they are being revealed. Well, the same universe is part of us and it's revealing its secrets to us as well. Now, whether we're ready to hear that, whether we have matured sufficiently in our readiness to hear it, or whether we are blasé about the secrets that are being revealed, that's a different story. But the secrets of the universe, of our formation, of our presentation, of our substance, is and will be revealed if you ask, if you open, if you have the intention for such revelation. It will not be held back. Christ said, very simply, said, knock and the door shall open. He, this cosmologist went on in one of his lectures to say that uh, he was, that the scientists of the day know the weight of matter in the universe if you know the dimensions of the universe and the amount of, of matter in every square meter, which they know is about five hydrogen atoms per cubic meter, and then you know the size, you can come up with the weight. So it turns out that the weight is 10 to the 53 kilograms. That's a secret of the universe that's been revealed. That's, that's what it weighs if you want to put your scales on it. But that's not the end. 
Now listen carefully. You don't have to understand the math, just get the point. What you also have to do is understand the, the negative impact of the universe upon matter to know its actual weight, to know its mass. And it turns out that the sum gravity works uh, as a negative impact on the weight of the universe. So we also had the counterweight of gravity, which happens to be minus 10 to the 53 kilograms. He said the most amazing thing about the universe is it's, it sums to zero. It sums to zero. Now that's a secret that's being revealed. And what do we do with that secret, you see? Do we have the maturity as a species to be able to actually insightfully move that revelation into a particular way that we can see and perceive? Because it's an interesting point, you see. Because when we look around, why is it that we only see things? We only see the weight. We only see the plus 10 to the 53 kilograms. Why is it that we don't see the zero from which the universe has arose? Because that's a question that has a very deep spiritual root. And if you ask it, that secret will also be revealed. Why is it, you see? Now, let us present, see this as a spiritual question, as a spiritual quest. <clears throat> because, in fact, the spiritual journey is a journey in which we begin by seeing the tightness and the density of life, the sense of me and you, the sense of other, the weight of life, both the physical weight of life the objects of life, and the psychological weight that those physical weights play in taking a toll upon us, an attention. And we see that when there are objects, forms of life, and I will now use the word form instead of weight and density and mass, these forms of life rub up against each other. The I rubs up against the you, right? This country rubs up against the other country as an aggregate. But as long as we only see the weights and densities and forms of life, you can be assured that there is going to be struggle, in the Buddha's words, suffering associated with that perception. But where is the nothing? Where is the zero? So the movement of the spiritual journey is from the weight and density of form to the formless zero. That's the spiritual journey. That's the real essence of the spiritual journey. And it's said in that way in the Zen tradition, in, the, um, in some of the different suttas of the Zen tradition, they talk about form to formlessness. The Heart Sutra, for instance. So the journey, the spiritual journey, is the 
way that we are caught within creating and looking and resting upon the forms of the world and how much we uh, are uh, identified with those forms of the world as our only sense of perception within the world. We start there. And the Buddhist, what the Buddhist tradition does, and many other skillful traditions, is that it tries to show you that where your perceptions land and holding on to the world as just form, as just matter, as just formation, inevitably leads to dissatisfaction because all forms die. They fade away. They break down. They end. They disintegrate. And so through repetitively looking at the world of form, we begin to divest our energy from holding the world only as form. And that divesting of energy begins to allow us to see the world, perceive the world, from a different vantage point. Because in science, there is a a theory, a uh, law of thermodynamics that says that uh, the sum total of energy, no energy can be lost in a system. It can be changed into matter and matter back to energy, but the sum total of energy is constant. Now, if we're investing our energy in form, and we have learned that form is untrustworthy, that it is falling apart in front of our eyes, that all relationships will end, that all bodies will die, that virtually every attachment we have to form either will end or it will end, and therefore we begin to divest our energy from that. What happens to the energy of that divestation? What happens to, pulling, to the energy that we're pulling out from the world in its most immature expression as, as we desperately need this or that object? That energy that only perceived life from the formation that it took now begins to sense life from a different formation entirely, and that is from the formless dimension. And some of us have experienced that. Many of us have experienced that here in the room. That is that it begins to, we sense, because you can't perceive it. If you perceived it, you would be making it a form. Only form can be perceived through these senses. But that doesn't mean that it isn't or can't be sensed, felt sensed. And you sense a sense of presence. In Christianity, they call it the presence of God or the Holy Spirit. In this tradition, it could be called awareness. But whatever it's called, it's the formless. It's something that's very obvious, that can be very we can be very confident of, and yet it's not a sense, it's not an experience as we would experience for the formations of life. And as we get a sense of that, and we only get a sense of that when we're quiet enough, now why is that? 
because when we're quiet enough, we're not invested in form. To be invested in form, we have to keep speaking about our relationship to form. Oh, I like this. This is so good. I love this thing. I've got to have this thing. How do I, where can I get money for this? All of that right, is the investment that we have in the objects of life. And as that quiets down so that we're not so compelled towards the utility and worth of everything, we get quiet. When we get quiet, that is the equivalence of divesting our energy from the forms of the world. And what happens within that quiet is quiet shows us a different revelation. It shows us the nature of, of what life really is, which is formless presence. Formless presence. Now, it's important for us to understand the spiritual journey in context. So let me bring the context from form to formlessness and overlap it with the context that the Buddha uses from suffering to the end of suffering, because they're identical. But unless you see them as identical, you may question form to formlessness. But, okay, as I mentioned, the more energy we spend in forming the world into objects through our relationship to them, through our need to talk endlessly about them, the more we'll struggle in relationship to that very conversation about, oh, I didn't, where, where is that object that I lost? I gotta find it back, oh, I'll just buy another one. All of that drama, all of that struggle is associated with the investment that we have and the energy that we expend in making and holding the world to the formation and the way we see it, right? And the other thing that happens is that the more we talk about the world, the more we establish the sense of the storyteller or the talker about the world. The world and the sense of me as a formation arise together. The more I believe in the formation external to me, the more I believe in myself as the person who wants or needs that formation. So in that conversation, I also build up my own sense of form. Stay with me, it gets easier. <laughs> and as we get quiet, a strange thing happens. We struggle less. And because we're not talking endlessly to forms, about forms, forming forms through our language, <laughs> we become less distinct as egoic entities. We, are le we become less formed. And as you get, as your quiet meter reaches near zero, the distinction of form external is gone and the sense of the subject that is after or pursuing those forms disappears. Now you see why the there's so much noise in the mind, is that it authenticates the world as we know it to be and myself in relationship to it. If we keep ourselves talking 
We keep the world being exactly what we have always known it to be, and we secure our place within that world. And so we very rarely stop talking. Even at night it continues. It certainly continues in your meditation when you're not attempting to do just that. And it's because if there's this much of a gap for any length of time, you and the world falls through that gap. That's how close the formlessness is. It needs your investment, continual investment with words in order for it to survive and egoically for you to survive. Suffering to the end of suffering. Form to formlessness. So we have gathered here to start the process of quietude. But look how willing we are to move in that direction. If anything, there's more noise because you see when you come within the context of an environment that's quiet, you get more frightened that you'll disappear and so you create more drama for yourself and secure your distinction within this environment of quietude at all cost. Don't you find that interesting? This is self-made. The whole problem is self-made. But it's important for you to hear this because you won't know what to do. You see, we're lost in the spiritual labyrinth. We don't know where to turn. What's the next... Where's the maze supposed to take me here? If you keep it very simple, if we keep it very clear what the problem is and what the solution is, we can all find our way out of it relatively quickly if we have the intention to do so. That's a huge if. That's like a capital I. Because most of us don't have that intention. We have the intention to keep ourselves in form and improve the form we're in. Modify it a little bit. Get rid of the drama, the part I don't like, but keep the part I do. A lot of us would like to divest from the part of us that we don't like, but few of us would like to divest from the whole thing. So we get partially quiet, or we get polarized. So just take the problem in for a minute. Just sense the problem. A problem that is caused through the perceptual shift that we create through our need to have the world as an external sense of objects, and me as a subject in pursuit of those objects. That's the problem. The solution is to come to a stillness that no longer maintains or can hold that distinctive quality of the world and myself as being distinct from each other. And when those two come together, the sacred is known. We sense the sacred 
many of us have a sense of the sacred. We will be sitting and a moment of not a state of mind. For a while, that's our governance. We think the state of mind is the true sense of holiness, the sense of calm or tranquility, because we never experience our bliss, because it holds such, such subtlety, such nuanced subtlety, such a different world of perception. But it's still the world of form. All states of mind are the world of form, because you can experience them. Only form can be experienced. So any experience you know by definition is form and you also know by definition that form cannot last. So all states of mind, therefore all experiences, are dying, on their way to dying. And yet we still, we don't want the world we're in, it's too jagged, bared, edged. But we would like the subtlety of the states of mind we can approach in our meditation. And that will be fulfilling because we can stay in form and have it nice and quiet, calm, tranquil, but just noisy enough to keep me around. Because we want, listen to the words, we want the state of mind. The wanting is a relationship of noise to form. I want this. Anytime you want something, we're leaning towards it with the only thing we have which is our language or our images associated with that to keep it, to keep the relationship going. No matter how subtle, no matter how finite. So much of the spiritual journey is waking up to what we're doing all the time in the, fir- in, the, in the pursuit of more subtle aspects of form. And retreating can certainly take you to extraordinary subtlety. But it's still formation. Now a few people bottom out of any life based upon the uncertainty, resting upon the uncertainty of death. It just doesn't, it's not fulfilling. You can only get as close as your language can take you. It's a rub. It's not a living, it's not an integrated life. It's not a life in which one is that. It's a life in which one can have a relationship with it, which means there's a distance. Form, you can never merge with form. You will always have a relationship with form. And you will always have a relationship to experience. Experience will always happen to you. That's as close as you'll ever get to a consummation of yourself in life through form. There's no closer you can get. And so at some point, you feel the sense of distance. You feel the sense of separation as itself a form of suffering. Is itself a form of struggle. It's not satisfying. There's no rest. Because either you or the form is in a constant state of 
transition in which you are trying to keep that form around much longer than its natural duration, its natural lifespan, you're trying to pump up the flat tire. And so that takes an enormous amount of effort to keep the struggle going so that you can maintain yourself in the relationship to that which is also dying. Does this sound familiar? You want me to soften my words? See, it's not easy to listen to the truth. It's not easy to hear that the burden of the problem is on us. We would much rather it be some kind of mystery that needs much more revelation, of something that the universe is holding back in its secrets of secret. And we have to put forth an endless amount of retreating time in order for us to sense the truth of the secrets behind the struggle of our meditations. But it's not that. It reveals its truth very quickly, if you're willing and want to know. It's there. And if we get quiet, even for a moment, you sense it. And now you understand why you sense it when you get quiet as opposed to constantly speaking. You sense it? It's that close. So what is needed is a perceptual shift. First, a recognition of the problem and the journey that we are on. And then the alignment of our strategies within that journey so that the journey isn't making us noisier. Because we can be assured, if it does, that we'll be chasing our own tail. And the sincere of heart learned this very quickly. That we can't be asserting the strategies of our personhood, which is a whole set of laws and a whole set of rules that govern a noisy mind and from a noisy mind, the sense of separation from other objects. There's a whole set of rules and laws of the universe that come in when that is our perception of things. One of those is distance. You're there and I'm here. That comes in when I think of myself as an object and therefore a distant from you the other side of that object-subject object world. So let me bring in another scientific 
truth, in quantum entanglement, they've been able to successfully, electrons rotate in pairs around an atom. And each pair has an opposite spin to the other. So the orbit, each orbit has two electrons, and each with an opposite spin, which I will represent like that. Now they take these two electrons that are paired, and they put them infinite distance apart. In fact, you could put them in other galaxies. And if you change the spin of one of the electrons, instantaneously the other electron changes its spin in accordance. Not at the speed of light, which would mean that they communicated with each other, but instantaneously, which means they are one in the same thing. Through science, which used to be governed by religion, but now shows us in advance where spirituality is headed, is telling us in so many words, although the scientists aren't saying that, they're still lagging behind the data that they're seeing, is that the world is not separate in the way that we think it to be. And so through all of this, plus our own insights, plus our own understanding, this, as Narayan so nicely put last night, is ae pasico, come and see for yourself. Don't re rely upon scientific data. Don't rely upon reading or someone else telling you. This is a directly accessible, directly accessible understanding that each of us can have if we so wish for the universe to unlock that particular secret. Now the question is, what do we do to begin to shift that perception? The Buddha placed a formula in front of us to do just that. I think often that formula is misunderstood and misread. So I'm going to give you my perception of that formula and see if it doesn't make sense in context of what we've just been speaking about. He called this formulation of the resolution of the problem of our noise, of form moving to formlessness, as the four foundations of mindfulness. Now those four foundations are a seamless practice. They are not practice this, then I practice this, then I practice this, then I practice this. They're not as we usually describe it as piecemeal things that we're trying to understand or lay our attention. First dwell here and now, okay, now that's the first time. Let me drink, okay. So I want to speak about this over the next two lectures, this one and the next one, to see how to show or demonstrate or hopefully reveal how these are seamless. So the first foundation of mindfulness is the foundation of the body. First, the word foundation is where you can rest. Usually the foundation on which we rest is the sense of I. 
That's where we go. That's our, that's our Maginot line. That's where we will not back up. Everything comes forward. Everything advances from the sense of me. It, the me is not ever questioned. It's assumed. And so that's our foundation. What the Buddha is now doing within the movement of these four foundations is to actually move it back so that we're questioning the assumptions on which we have rested. It's questioning the absolute demarcation, the foundations, the principles on which our life has, has lived. So these four foundations are really attempts to undermine the basic assumptions on which we live. They're not something placed to rest and just you know, park our car of mindfulness. They are active explorations of the assumptions on which we have re- left, just on which we have rested our entire life. And the first one he picks is the most personal object he can possibly pick. He picks your body, my body. He picks form at its highest, at its highest attachment, at its most personalized shape. But in so doing, he's talking about all expressions of form, not just the body's shape, but the all form. Now let's just go into the nature of the body for a minute because so much of our noise comes because we haven't been able to settle with the sense of the body. So the first thing that is happening when we rest within the body is a sense of that we can own this thing rather than trying to control it as most of us do. We can actually have a genuine connection. Most of us don't know how to connect with the body at all. We know how to master it, control it, beautify it, but not really have a connection or relationship to it. So he's welcoming us into this sense, this very personalized sense of shape and form, first to rest ourselves there, because an exploration cannot be undertaken if there is any agitation with the object that you're exploring. You have, we have to be completely at rest with it. Then wonder, curiosity, Interest can be the way that we move out and ask questions about the nature of what we are exploring. So the first thing that has to be done when we enter the body is to have genuine contact and relationship. And what we find is just the opposite. The first thing we find when we land in the body is that we don't really trust it. It's going to die. Why do we want to hang out with something that's on its way out? Even if it's a few decades from now, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> you see, it's hard to relax when you know the horse is going <laughs> to... I rode a horse to Boston to buy a loaf of bread, and I, you know, that story, and on the way home, it, the old horse is dead. Or that one. (laughs) 
So he's asking something. He's asking us to be fully embodied and, dev- and let the past, the, the issues of the body, reveal themselves and stop making them into a noisy drama. As we enter the body, the history of our life is contained in the cells of our body, not only in the cells of our mind. You will find the history very, very much there in the cells of your body. And as you fully enter, it will be released. The tensions of your life, the memories of your life will release themselves. And your job is to not make more of them, is to be quiet with them, is to let them extinguish themselves. Not through your judgment, not through your whipping yourself into shape, but simply through full participation, straight participation. See, he's asking for a complete embodiment because that's the only way this thing's going to come back to neutral. It's only going to come back if we fully embody ourselves. And along the way, something tremendously important happens. There is a line from the body into the earth that becomes an unshakable confidence in us. The Buddha is pointing it out in this statue when he reaches over his knee and touches the earth for confirmation that he is in the rightful place that he needs to be. And each time our feet touch the floor, we are confirming the fact that there is no other place that we can be. And therefore, there's no apology we need for being here. And in that confirmation of spirit, which is much more powerful than what the mind says we should be doing and who we should be and where we should be. Oh, I'm, what am I doing here? Oh my God, I'm, I'm not worthy enough to be here. I'm not a good meditator. Look at this person. All of that, which is essentially saying I'm not in the right place, becomes nothing compared to the certainty of the actual body itself. Established. as a reference point to the earth it touches. Now we get quiet. There's no more argument now. There wasn't another hand he needed to reach over his knee to touch the earth a second time. This confirmed what he knew. And so too we can confirm our rightful place on the earth. And if we don't think that's important, you look at how much time each of us spend trying to get out of where we are. Why is this happening to me? Because it can't possibly not happen to you. And with the loss of that drama, with the release of that tension, of that fighting ourselves and location in time, I wish I were younger. We get quiet.
No excuse. No excuse needed. No apologies for being here or being who I am. Confirmed by the touch of the earth. And then a sense of trust and confidence comes. We've just been looking at the wrong end of the spectrum. We've been looking up here. This is our governance. The noise has been our governance. What do you think the noise is going to take you? It's not going to take you to any certainty. Form is not certain. Form is hesitant. It's compromised. It's not, nothing's guaranteed. And so, of course, if we continue to form ourselves through the language, through the words, through the noise of the mind, we're going to be uncertain as to our location, where we should be, who I am. And this ends all of that. And this body experience, this taking our seat in the body, begins the exploration of what form is. Because in the Four Foundations, one of the way he frames it is he says something like, notice that the body is formed through knowledge and remembrance, through noise. And if you're willing to be quiet, the body does not maintain that shape. You can no longer call it a body because it doesn't shape itself as a body. It's only our continual need to have the mirror image of ourselves be as we have known ourselves to be, but a little older. When we're quiet, the boundaries of what we have imposed upon ourselves in the name of body and the segregation of myself up here and the body being owned or loosely associated with that, that boundary is eliminated. And all boundaries are imposed by the noise and the assertion of noise. Because every form has a boundary, does it not? And that boundary is an edge a place of ease on one end and fear on the other boundary, other end of the boundary. And so as long as we stay neatly tucked within the skin of our boundary, that which is outside is foreign, but that which is inside is known, is home. So we won't let that boundary be permeable. And the Buddha is encouraging us to do exactly the opposite is to be quiet enough so that you see the translucence of the body. That it's infinite. And so from this first foundation, we have explored the truth of the most personal object that we can possibly know called ourself. And we have seen it, we have seen it begin to disintegrate 
in the shape we have known ourselves to be. At the same time, establishing a resolve of confidence. Because if you're going to release or release the, the graphic distinction of the body, you better have confidence that you reside, that you're here, that your presence is touching the earth. And it provides both. It provides that assurance of location, even as we're releasing, dissolving the very boundary that is located. And so we can then move on. We can then take the lessons from this first foundation and still have the courage to move into the next foundation, which I'll talk about the next time. Thank you all very much. Can we sit for a minute or two? So how do you sit, you see? How quiet are you willing to be? How far into this journey do you really want to go? Those are very, very important questions for you to know. It is not our job, the teacher's job, to try to push you any further than your own desire to move. It's our job to encourage you to move as far as you want to move. You set the pace. But know where you're, be honest. Know where you're not willing to go at this time. It doesn't mean forever. It means right now this is the limitation of the journey I'm undertaking. I just want to be improved. I just want a better me. It's okay. That's okay. I just want to shore up some of my neurosis. Because when we get going in this thing, It can take you as far as you want it to go. In fact, it will take you only as far as you want it to go. Form to formlessness. So the talk was not supposed to create 
turmoil in you, make you more noisy. So if it didn't work, if it didn't, if it didn't meet you, just let it go. Continue on in the way that you feel you need to work. Okay? Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.